the one thing I wanted to clarify is on your homework packets, there's no um, notebooks. If you haven't been here before and you need a notebook, your table leader can get you one. Everybody who has their last time notebook, just add this on to it because we're still in the wilderness. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you my Jacob story since we're into five-year-old stories. He was at his Grammy's house, who is my sister, and um, they were watching something on TV, and it was something about the star and going to bed, and you wish on the star. And so he was sitting there, and he goes, Grammy, you know what I wish for? And she said, no. And he goes, I wish I could have everybody with me always, and no one would die and go to heaven. And I thought, that's pretty heavy-duty thinking for a five-year-old. So we're all trying to figure out where all of a sudden this came up from because nobody in the family has died or a pet or, you know, so. But anyway, you think these little kids, you know, it's so important to have them in church and, and learn the, about the Lord because they do some pretty deep thinking at five. So I'm going to just, I know we've prayed a couple times, but I'm just going to open in prayer for myself. Lord, we just ask you to be with us. Open our hearts and our minds. Lord, give me the right words to say. Just be in this lesson and enlighten us. And we just thank you in the name of Jesus. So these are Carol's notes, so good notes. But um, How many of you have ever watched the old TV show, Gilligan's Island? Okay. Here, I thought I'd have to explain it to the younger people, but there's nothing that ever dies that's ever been on TV anymore because on some cable channel, it's still being watched. So... Carol had said here, um, do you ever feel like you're on Gilligan's Island with Gilligan, the skipper, the millionaire, his wife, the movie star, the professor, and Mary Ann? I wonder if the I wonder if maybe the Israelites could have had a similar theme song. Do you remember their theme song? Now I want to thank Carol for this because she wrote out all the words to the theme song. Maybe she was going to sing them to you, but I'm not. So <laughs> But I want to thank her because ever since she sent me these notes yesterday, I've been humming this song. I can't get it out of my head, and it's ridiculous. So, But one of the verses says, so this is the tale of the castaways. They're here for a long, long time. They'll have to make the best of things. It's an uphill climb. Isn't that the way the Israelites are probably feeling in the wilderness? But, you know, life isn't a TV series. Although maybe you think yours could be a reality TV series. Mine would be the most boring reality TV series that they would film. But, you know, some of us have pretty, some of you have pretty exciting lives. The Israelites surely could have had their own TV show. Because look at the plot they could have had. I mean, really, first they're in Egypt as slaves. Then God does all those miraculous things, takes them to the Red Sea, and the waters part. I mean, they made a whole movie about this, you know. And then they cross over, and the army's pursuing them with this mighty general, and they get drowned as they're in the Red Sea. And then they have a, a pillar of fire to, to go with them at night, and they have a cloud by the daytime so they can see. It's like their own personal GPS. And then they have manna that comes down so they can eat. And each day they, they can have food to eat. And then how about when they turned all their gold into a calf to worship the first time daddy went away? I mean, there's a family sitcom for you. Dad's away and everybody messes up. They certainly had the makings of a hit show. But, you know, this is real life. And they were on a journey. 
to the promised land. And like us, it seems to be more drama land than promised land. Sometimes we get so much drama in our life, it's hard to break our way out of it. But we continue to plot along. So come with us on the rest of this trip through the wilderness. And we can probably laugh with us, cry with us, but most of all, we're going to all move forward. We're going to move forward in our knowledge of who God is and what he is and how we praise him and how we worship him. We're going to meet God in the next few weeks in a real form. But first, we're going to quickly review to bring us up to, to where we are right now. So I think that we can pretty well sum up our studies in about three main points. So that's what we're going to do. First is the wilderness travels. The question is why and how. Why did God take the children of Israel through the wilderness? The Lord didn't want them to return to bondage. They had been slaves 400 years. The people who walked out of Egypt had never been free. Their fathers had never been free. Their grandfathers have never been free. Probably their great-grandfathers had never been free. They'd always been slaves. It was their whole mental focus. It's the way they lived. They were slaves. God didn't want them in that. It said he heard their cry and he went to rescue them. He wanted them to get to the promised land. Remember, we talked about the history of Israel and how God had promised Abram. He'd made a covenant with him that he they would have the land from the river in Egypt to the great Euphrates, that it was all theirs. He promised he would bring them to that, and now was the time he was doing it. When Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't take them the fastest way. You know, it was only an 11-day journey from where they left Egypt to the promised land. I mean, you could have added a couple days to that if they wanted to sleep in a couple days or something. But, you know, it was 11 days. But God didn't take them that way. We would have said, okay, the shortest path is right over there. But it said that God took them in Exodus 13, 17, and 18. It said, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in an orderly ranks out of Egypt. They had never made a decision for themselves. They had never governed themselves. They didn't have their own rules. They had never organized themselves. They didn't know how to be a people together. God knew that. God knew that if he just plopped them in front of the promised land, they wouldn't be able to take it. They wouldn't be able to win a battle. They'd never fought battles. They'd never planned strategies. They didn't even really know God, the God that delivered them. They still didn't really know him. So he did what was best. He took them the long way around. You know, in Proverbs 19.21, it says, You can make many plans, but the Lord's purposes will prevail. That's a good thing to remember for our own lives. We can make all the plans we want, but God's, if we're really following God, it's going to be his purposes that prevail. So now we come to question two. How does this relate to us today? You say, well, that's nice to them, but I've never been a slave. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm just following along here. So how does it relate to us? Have you ever 
taken a longer journey than you thought somewhere that God's taking you? Has your prayer ever been answered differently than you thought it would be? Have you ever figured out the way God could best meet the need you're praying for? <laughs> I do that. So, you know, well, gee, Lord, if, if you did this and this, then that would really work good. And so he does this over here. That's just what was happening with the Israelites. They're probably standing there going, how come we're out here in the wilderness? You told us we were going to the promised land. So where is it? The wilderness travels are a reminder for us not to, not to behave like the Israelites did. So how did they behave? Nothing ever satisfied them. Nothing ever satisfied them. We come to the one story where when um, Moses went up to Mount Sinai, where God was going to give him the laws that they were going to live by, some kind of order, he came back down the mountain, and they had taken all their gold and melted it to make a calf to worship. That's a people who really doesn't know who their God is yet. They had decided to go with one you could see. Couldn't do anything, but you could see him. And so in Numbers 32, 13, it says, So God's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation had done. It was gone out of sight. It had done evil out of the sight of God. Just told my wrong example. Um, <laughs> they had reached the promised land border, and God said, here we are. I mean, this was after a few years. Here we are. And they sent spies in to look at the land, and the spies came back and said, those guys are way too big, and we don't want to go there. We'll just stay here. And God said, but, but you've... You've forgotten. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust him to get him where he needed to go. And so God said, okay, you know, I'm really, I'm really kind of tired of you guys, so you're not going in. We'll just wait for your kids to grow up. They can go in. Psalm 78.8 said it may not be like, that they may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright whose spirit was not faithful to God. That's what we want. We want to be faithful to God. How do we set our heart aright? It's an odd word. We don't use it often today. But how do we set our heart in the right path? We decide. Life is one decision after another. <laughs> and most of the time, what we do is what we decide to do. You want to follow God? Decide to follow him. You want to seek God? Decide to seek him and then do it. You want to trust God, decide you're going to. Because those are our decisions. And that's the decision the Israelites could have made. But they chose not to. And they ended up wandering around for 40 years. So the lesson you can learn out of that is to just be faithful to God. Trust him to be faithful. Know him and trust him. The second point we're going to make is the wilderness travel survival. How did they do in the wilderness? We're going to make the most of what you have been doing and do it with a thankful heart. God gave them everything they wanted, and they still complained about everything they got <laughs> and what they didn't get. If you think about the miracles God performed, first we have Egypt. Look at the plagues. I'm not going to say them all in order of that, but you had you had the flies, and you had the grasshoppers, and you had the you had the frogs. Yes, wonderful things, you know. 
and you had the rivers with blood, you had the hail, and to culminate it all, you had the firstborn dying, and God teaching their people that there was a way of salvation by putting the blood of a lamb on the doorpost. They had seen God. Most of those didn't affect them, but they saw them. They saw what God could do, that at a word, the plague could start, and at a word, the plague would stop. They saw that. Then they, they exit, and they go to the Red Sea, and God parts the waters, and they walk through not on soggy ground, but dry ground. They saw that. Can you imagine standing there going, wow, look, all that water was pretty awesome even in the old movie. So <laughs> they, they watch God do that. They watch the supernatural. They had the cloud by day that showed them where to go, that showed them God's presence. They had the pillar of fire by night. It proved that God was with them. Anywhere in the camp, you could look toward the middle of the camp, and there was God manifest. There was God. They had all of that. He gave them manna to eat. He purified the water at Mara. But they complained. They complained about the manna. They wanted garlic and leeks and onions. They didn't want this manna that just showed up without them working for it or anything else. They wanted meat, so God gave them quail. Gave them so much quail that they were made themselves pigs, and lots of them got sick. Some of them even died because they didn't trust him to give it to him the next time. They saw God bring water out of a rock. And we're told in 1 Corinthians that that rock was Jesus. And it traveled. They moaned against Moses. At one point, they wanted to stone Moses. Now, they had seen all these things all along the way, and yet they didn't know God. Finally, God's anger, this is the point, came toward them to the point where he actually wanted to disown them, and that was at the golden calf. Moses came down. God told Moses, he said, look what your people are doing down there. And they're having some wild party. Most of them are drunk. They're worshiping this golden calf. And God said, I've had it. I'm sorry I even brought them out of Egypt. I'm just, we're, we're going to start over. I'll just kill all of those guys. And we'll start over here, Moses, you and me. We'll do something different. And Moses said, no, 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 don't do that. He said, what will people think of a God that brings their people out into the desert to slay them? So Moses pleaded. And God said, okay, fine. We'll keep going. And God forgave them. So to survive... The lesson we learn in surviving on this one is to be content with what we have. Pray, pray some more, and give thanks in all things. I think the secret to being content is to be thankful. We live in a world that isn't content. There, you see people all the time, maybe some of us, we're just not content with what we have. Somebody else has a bigger this and a newer that, makes more money and has better clothes wears nicer shoes, and, and besides that, it just, I don't have the perfect family. We just came through the holidays, and, and how many people did just fine in the holidays, but it wasn't quite as perfect as you pictured it. It wasn't the Norman Rockwell image of Christmas morning. 
something didn't go right. And people are discontented. But they forget what God has done for them. Look at your lives. What has God done for you? We have so much. I have personally decided that I own way too much stuff because I brought home a couple Christmas presents and I can't figure out where to put them because <laughs> I have to go through a cupboard. I, I wanted some new frying pans. And so both sisters, obviously they don't talk to each other, both sisters bought me a set of two frying pans, <laughs> which are really nice because they're different, but I, but I can't fit them in my pot and pan cupboard unless I get rid of some stuff. How many of you are like that? You open a cupboard door and you think, oh, man. Or you pick up something and say, wow, I wondered where that went. We have so much. But we're not thankful for what God does for us every day. Every day he provides, whether it's because you work or because he takes care of you some other way. But God provides. And besides that, he is constantly in our presence. We don't have the cloud, we don't have the fire, but we have him right here. He lives in us, and that's the God we need to get to know better. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness, to be content in such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Now how's that for a promise? That the God of heaven is never going to leave us, he's never going to leave me, he's never going to forsake me. That's a lot to be thankful for. We need to remember to give thanks. There's so many times in the Bible, especially in Psalms, where it talks about being thankful. I think thankful, a thankful heart, is a heart that God can really use. The next thing we learn is that if you want God's blessing, we need to follow his roadmap, not our own. So most of us probably, if we don't have GPS in our car, we have it in some handheld device, or you have it on your smartphone. And you ask Sari to take you where you want to go, and she could say, well, you're going to take the 91 freeway, and you're going to go west. And you're like, nah, to get to the beach, say. And you're like, nah, I don't want to go that way. I'm going to go east, you know, because this is the way I want to go. I like east better. It's too the sunshiny in the west. So that's the way we live our life sometimes. We ask for God's direction. He kind of directs us. You go, nah, I wanted to go this way. You know, you're taking me the wrong way. We need to trust him for his directions. He gave us basics to live by. And Kim taught the lesson on the Ten Commandments. And the basics, basically, don't leave home without them. You need these. The first few handle our relationship with God. The last part handles our relationship with each other. And it starts out. So you figure the first one is the most important. And it starts out with, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, it may not look like a golden calf, but there's lots of things that take our priority. Do you wonder if you have anything that comes before God? Go ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. He's never shy about that kind of stuff. Ask him what takes a place. What takes first place in your life? It doesn't even have to be a bad thing. But if it takes first place in your life, then it's another God before him. It says you should not make a carved image or a likeness of anything in heaven that it are in the earth that's in the water under the earth. You shouldn't bow down. You shouldn't worship them. It says, because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity on the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation 
of those who hate me, but showing loving mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. He says he's a jealous God. He's not jealous of what we're doing. He's jealous of us. He wants our time. He wants us to himself. He loves us. He proved it. And he wants us. He wants us to love him that much. And anything, we don't have to go home and carve a piece of wood and you don't have to give a fruit offering to it. But if something else is occupying your time, if you're focused on something else, if you're, you know, let's take Facebook. <laughs> let's take a game on your handheld. I mean, I see people who walk around, I swear they never look up. I was in Starbucks the other day, and I was waiting in line to get something. This family came in, and there were three kids, probably under the age of eight, and a mom and a dad, and everybody had their phone in their hand. And they all got their stuff, and they all sat down, and no one talked to each other. They all stared at their little phones, played whatever it was they were doing. And I thought, wow, what happened to togetherness stuff? That. All those electronic things, they become more important than God? Sorry, they're your idol. So then we have not to take the Lord's name in vain. It says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Then he tells us to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He tells us we have six days to labor. He wants us to have one day that's devoted to him. And it goes into a big list of how we're not supposed to let anybody work, even our animals. So my dog will be glad to hear that. She says she, she prefers to just lay around. So, <laughs> But we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to set aside time for God. That's what he's saying. You're supposed to honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, and your days may be long on the earth, and it will be well in the land the Lord has given you. The only commandment with promise. Honor your father and your mother. Your days will be long on the earth. And then we come into what, how we're supposed to live with each other. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. His field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that your neighbor so I can't covet my neighbor's Ferrari. My neighbor asked for a Ferrari. But, you know, people have things that are nicer than we have. It's nice to say, wow, that was really great. That would be fun. But, you know, when it starts obsessing you. I used to work with a guy who was totally obsessed with owning a boat that was like some ski boat. He called it a bullet boat or something. Cigar boat, that was it. So it was long and narrow, and it goes really fast. I mean, it became his, such his entire focus. He was selling his vacation days back to the company. He was working any time he could get. He took a second job. He had a family, and it became so important to him, he got the boat, and he lost his wife and his kids. And I always thought, how sad. How sad. When I was studying this, that came to mind. He wanted it so badly, it, it became his whole focus. Make sure we don't want anything that badly because God's our focus. But in closing, you know, God is no longer angry with the Israelites. He's, he pardoned them. He forgave them. And if you go through their other history, they were up and down again all over the place, just like we are. 
But isn't it kind of no, nice to know that no matter what, God forgives us. He redeems. Isaiah 42 says, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Several times in the Bible, the Lord says that he will forgive and restore. He'll forgive and restore Israel. He'll forgive and restore us. Isaiah 45, 17 says, But Israel shall be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed or disgraced forever and ever. Micah 7, 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. And you know, that's a really good verse to tell ourselves that God delights in mercy. That's a really terrific God. When I let him down, when I fail him doing the same thing for the 14th time or not doing what I think I know I should do, he still forgives me. He redeems. He pardons. He shows mercy. We live, that's the kind of God that we're going to talk about learning how to worship. That's the kind of God that we're going to tabernacle with. God has pardoned our sins, and he delights in taking mercy on us, no matter where we are. Because God made a covenant with us, too. And instead of sacrificing animals and walking between it, his son died on the cross. Through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, we're pardoned. We don't even have to worry about it. Because God made a promise to us. He made a covenant, and he sealed it with his very own son. God's plan for you and me are delightful, and there's no boundaries to the incredible love that God has for each of us and his plans to prosper our lives this year. I think this is a really uh, neat year. Um, New Year's Eve, Pastor Rick was, was speaking, and he gave this scripture, and this scripture so hit me that I've been kind of meditating on it ever since, and it's, I'm sure it's not just for me. It's Isaiah 43, 19. It says, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. That's what God's going to do. I think that's what God is saying for this year, for our women's ministry, for our church, for our lives. It certainly is. I feel it's for my life. There are things I've been praying for in my family. There are people I've been praying for, and I'm hanging on that God is going to make a way through the wilderness. And I think that that's applicable to our Bible study and to the women. And so I, I just grab hold of one of the promises God gives you. And if you need one, grab hold of that one, Isaiah 43, 19. And we're going to, in the next, what, nine weeks, we're going to talk about the tabernacle and how to worship a king, how to know God and the intimacy that he, require, that he desires us to know him in. Because that's the way he wants to know us, and that's how he wants us to know him, to pull close to God, to feel him, to feel his heartbeat. The tabernacle is going to show us how he taught Israel to worship him, and it applies to the New Testament life that we live. So come along and kind of enjoy the trip. I thank you all for coming. And that's it.